Welcome to a special episode of This Week in the CLE, the podcast from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Normally, this is a podcast discussion of the news by editors at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. But this special episode is a conversation with one of the candidates for Cleveland mayor, Dennis Kucinich. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleague, chief political writer, Seth Richardson, who will have the conversation with Mr. Kucinich. I'll probably cut in once in a while with a follow up question. Seth, take it away. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Dennis, thank you so much for being with us. Going to hop right into it. The uh, city is currently seeing a surge in gun violence and other violent crimes. What policies will you enact to help curtail the spike in violence we've seen over the past year? Yeah, I, I, I think that we we need to um, refocus the, a central purpose of government, which is certainly to provide for safety. But the purpose of government under my administration will be peace and safety and the administration of uh, law enforcement will uh, contribute to peace in the community. Let me explain how. Uh, the surge of gun violence that we see really reflects uh, some underlying um, processes in the community that need more attention. But while we're analyzing that, we absolutely need 400 new police. We need 100 uh, safety assistants who are experts in conflict resolution and crisis intervention. I want to see a civic peace department created, which can get to the root causes of violence uh, in the community. And when we're able to do that, then the integration of law enforcement, uh, a um, uh, crisis intervention approach, which does not necessarily require armed force, uh, civic peace department, can bring us to a point where we actually are able to get to, to you know, deal with what's happening now, but look at uh, violence and uh, precedence of violence before they result in, uh, in shooting. And so, you know, a, a civic peace department will certainly deal with gun violence, gang violence, racial violence, uh, violence of all and all of its uh, manifestations and the central organizing principle ought to be peace and i'm certainly prepared to uh, lead the way to help help do that well you mentioned hiring 400 police officers i know that's been a big plank in your platform but you know there the recruitment hasn't exactly been great uh, for the police department it's been sluggish and you know the last time you were mayor you also wanted to hire police officers and recruitment didn't go great then either so I'm curious, how you know would you or how should the city change its approach if it does want to attract, you know, all these new officers to the job? Well, you know, first of all, I, I don't think you you know will seriously try to equate conditions in 1977 with where they are now in the city. But I, I think that when we're talking about recruiting police, we need uh, police to be well paid. We need police to be well educated. I, I favor creating a program where we enable police individuals to sign up for the Cleveland Police Department once they go through the program, make it through the academy, that they would be assured of a college education as long as they provide at least five years service to the uh, city of Cleveland in their position. Uh, that's, that's one way you can do it. Another way you can do it is to uh, uh, pay a premium to those officers who are in the suburbs 
who uh, we, you know, who we have left, uh, some of whom have left the employ of the Cleveland Police Department, uh, to bring them back with considerations for um, uh, benefits for housing if they live in a city, mortgage, helping a mortgage, or for, um, uh, you know, actually giving people a bonus to come back to the department. See, these are the kinds of things that can be done to start to build up the, um, uh, the profile of the police department and start to move it back towards uh, 1600, 1700, the, the 1800 uniformed forces, which the uh, chief of police asked city council for more than a year ago. Uh, we, we just don't have enough law enforcement. And what does it also mean? It means that we need to step up the number of classes that the city puts through the academy. The city was asked uh, uh, last, uh, last year to add an extra class. They declined to do that. Uh, we, need, we need more classes. We need to recruit more. We need to go into the neighborhoods uh, and, and give uh, young Clevelanders an opportunity to join and we need to, uh, uh, th there, there, there are many law enforcement programs at, at colleges in the area that we need to get into. And if we change the, the inflection of law enforcement, which I intend to do, from one which uh, is um, sometimes harsh and punitive to one which engages the community and community policing that uh, has a, a commitment to a restorative justice uh, that has the oppor uh, that provides people with uh, opportunities to serve. I think that I, I think we can start to make Cleveland a safer city. So you know, recruitment is certainly something that I've thought a lot about, and I'm prepared to act in a number of different uh, fronts in order to be able to get the numbers that we need. So let me let me ask this. Yeah, over the last 20 years or so, uh, for most of those 20 years, Cleveland had uh, very, very tight budgets. So it, re, in more recent years, it's actually been budgets in the red. And the only reason that they were legal is because they used carryovers from the previous year. They were budgeting for less less revenue than they had expense. Back when Jane Campbell was mayor, she actually had to lay off safety forces to balance the budget. So adding 400 police officers carries an enormous bill. Public safety is the single biggest part of the budget. Are you proposing hiring these 400 police officers permanently? Or is this something you'd mentioned using the reserve fund and the rainy day fund to hire them? Is this a time limited plan? Uh, and if it's not time limited, how in your mind is it sustainable in the budget? Okay. Uh Chris, that uh, the first thing I'd like to point out uh, that when I last ran a city, I was able to cut city spending by about 18 percent uh, without reducing services through the elimination of waste, fraud and abuse. Uh, my skills in that in that area have since uh, been uh, uh, sharpened ever more as chairman of a congressional investigative subcommittee. Uh, I've, I've been able to uh, go deeper into how uh, government money ought to be spent and how it's often misspent. So, you know, to begin with, I'll, I'm going to take a sharp pencil to every single uh, city department. Uh, next, 
we have to keep in mind that the, uh, I, I'm looking right now, I have in front of me the official certificate of estimated resources, page 60, uh, for the uh, mayor's estimate of 2021. Uh, the general fund had an unencumbered balance of 43.5 million. The rainy day fund had an uh, unencumbered balance of 37.2 million. Now, these are resources that could have been used in the past to uh, put uh, more police on the payroll. And why that didn't happen, uh, I, I, that's something that city leaders have to account for. But I will tell you, there are resources there without even getting into a discussion of how much of the $511 million we would use. I think that when you look at, also, when you look at, at uh, eliminating waste, fraud, and abuse, when you look at unencumbered balances that exist, and you look at the $511 million, we can program spending easily over the next five years to be able to carry uh, uh, a, uh, an increase in the number of police. Now, the question is, what's the threshold? Is it approximately... 1,500 that we have now, or is it, or will it be, and, and so therefore our goal is 1,900, or will it be 1,800 that the chief asked for uh, and said he needed a couple, uh, a, a year ago? Uh, that's something that, you know, has to be worked out so that we have uh, adequate law enforcement to do the job of, of making the city safe, of having community patrols, of beefing up the homicide and the scientific investigation units, of, of getting people on the street and working with these gangs to try to avert violence. And, uh, and plus a civic peace department uh, will play a role, I think, in uh, possibly obviating the need for ever more numbers of police. So, you know, this is a, this is a balancing that must occur through actually, you know, the engagement of, of a mayor uh, with uh, the community. And that's something that I'm, I'm certainly ready to do uh, from a dynamic standpoint, a financial standpoint, and an administrative standpoint. What exactly would a, a civic peace department do and what would it look like? How would it be staffed and who would it be staffed with? Yeah, I, well, you, you'd start with, you know, what's the, what's the purpose of it? The purpose of it is, first, we recognize that Cleveland right now is one of the most uh, per capita is, is beset by violence more than most cities in America. We have to look, you know, we all know that there are certain elements to that. Uh, the extreme poverty that exists in part of the city where 20% of the people are living on $10,000 or less a year. That's a factor. Uh, the uh, certain failures of the law enforcement system, which uh, uh, need to be addressed, are also factors in the criminal justice system. Uh, not really paying attention to the uh, recidivists of, of violent criminals. Uh, but in, in principle, the Department of Peace would use field-tested methods to, to go into the neighborhoods of the city and engage with people at a community level to determine what, you know, what is it that's causing the violence. Actually talk to people instead of theorizing about it. Actually talk to people and, 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 be, and, and in doing that, you... Uh, and that, what does that mean? That means talking to all sides, talking to uh, the, the community and those who may be on the other side of the law, uh, certainly involving the police in that process. It goes beyond the community relations model. And what we're trying to do is transform attitudes that people have about, about our community, about police, about uh, 
the police attitudes about people in the neighborhood. And, you know, the Department of Peace would be the vehicle by which we, we, we will become the very first city to use field-tested methods to start to reduce the violence. You know, we have to understand that violence is a learned response. So is, 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 uh, is nonviolence. And I might add that, uh, uh, that there are programs that can also uh, add to the existing programs that are in the Cleveland schools that uh, provide uh, uh, children with, uh, with learning, peace-giving and peace-sharing, mutuality, looking at the other person as an aspect of oneself. Uh, and we're talking about uh, getting people to rethink the, the nature of community, uh, rethink their relationship and their responsibilities to each other. And, and I think, uh, you know, given my long experience in, in government and, and also the fact that I was able to uh, bring forth a proposal for a cabinet-level Department of Peace as a member of Congress, um, you know, approximately 20 years ago, two months before 9-11, and, and it became a national movement. It still is. Uh, but it's about peace building. It, it's not simply about, um, uh, about uh, some theoretical approach. You know, we have to strengthen what is working. We have to give people an empowered pathway to improve their lives. Uh, you know, I, I would say, look at uh, what Brandon Krastowski is doing with Edwin's, how he has created a model that ought to be, you know, copied around the country of restorative justice, giving people a chance to reintegrate into civil society so they're not uh, uh, shunned. I mean, once people pay their debt to society, they pay their debt. They shouldn't ask to keep paying it over and over and over. So, you know, the depart the uh, the Civic Peace Department is going to uh, uh, create a, a, a permanent analytical uh, and compassionate approach to, to peace building in the city of Cleveland. And I, and, I, and I know when we reach out to communities, there'll be a sense of, of excitement about this. All right. You, uh, you mentioned the federal dollars that are going to be coming in. Um you know, these coronavirus relief funds that'll be coming in. And I want to know what your basic kind of line by line plan is for the $511 million that will be coming in from the federal government. Well, I could tell you, I've already, uh, I've already had one meeting, you know, even though this, I don't believe the city has actually reached out to people. Uh, this, the, the nature of the American Rescue Act is that it should be participatory. So I had a meeting uh, in, um, in the North Collinwood area uh, in Ward 8 a few weeks ago. And there were about 60 people in the meeting along with Councilman Palencic. I asked people, what's your priorities? And what the people told me, uh, they, want, they want more police. They're concerned about safety in the, in the neighborhoods. Uh, that wasn't the only thing that was mentioned. One of the other things that was mentioned was uh, doing something about abandoned housing and getting them torn down. But, you know, to, to uh, so it starts with, if we want a, a safe, peaceful and prosperous Cleveland, we, we have to rebuild our civic infrastructure and get people to participate. What does that mean? Well, okay, I've, I've outlined uh, quite a few times about priorities involving safety. And people, I think, in at least Ward 8, seem to support uh, bring in more police, having safety assistants who can um, uh, help in crisis intervention, 
doesn't require armed intervention, a cabinet level uh, peace department. I mean, that's one of the things that's in the discussion. But let me tell you, widening it out, you know, here's some of the other things. We need to look at that $511 million to get people involved in the discussion. I'm sure you're going to see discussions about the need for economic development. I spent a lot of time in Shaker Square. It's starving for economic development. And I've met with uh, business leaders there. I've gone literally you know, door to door in the business community talking to people about you know, how we might bring back the square. I've talked to people in the Lee Harvard area who feel they've been neglected with all the investment that's going on in certain neighborhoods, but we need to invest in Lee Harvard, but that has to be a collaborative process. I can't just say, well, this is what I want to do. It has to be the community that is involved in the decision-making. And, and when we come up with the right plans, then we tap the federal dollars. Uh, West Side Market is another example. I mean, it is, it is woefully uh, underutilized uh, and mismanaged and uh, a, a small investment, a relatively small investment in the market. I mean, even a few hundred thousand dollars for generators, my God. I mean, how, how hard is that? There have been people have been asking for a few hundred thousand for generators for three years. But you invest in the West Side Market, that's a magnet as well. But those are the kind of ideas you can't, but I, but I have to do it with the people. Small business in Cleveland needs a lot of help. Uh, you know, wherever our business districts are hanging on, we want to make sure we work with the Small Business Administration of federal government and leverage what they might be able to do with the money that is available uh, from the American Rescue Plan. I want to see uh, investments, and, and I've talked to people about this. People want more investments in parks and green space. That's another area we want to invest money. I've heard a lot of talk about investing in housing. You know, I've said we'd, we'd want at least 20,000 new units. That's a big, big number, but that has to come as a result of a collaborative process. How, where, and we have to invest in, in the health of our people. Uh, we have such a high level of infant mortality and the lead poisoning is, is still a, uh, a serious uh, matter in so many different communities. Uh, we, we have to use uh, public dollars to accelerate our, our work in those areas. And also, I might add, I think uh, I'm a, I'll be in a position to work with our, uh, our, our leaders in the healthcare sector in Cleveland. We have some wonderful healthcare systems, which I think when they have a, a mayor who uh, reaches out to them, will want to use more of their own uh, uh, capabilities to be of service. On the, in the area of, of uh, dealing with infant mortality and lead poisoning in particular, but there's other areas we could work on too. I mean, I'm, you know, the way that we're going to transform the city isn't that one person is going to do it, it's that you go to the people. There's a, there's a knowledge in the neighborhoods when you talk to people about what people think can be done. And you can't reach that just by sending out something in the mail and getting a questionnaire. You have to talk to people. And you know, whether it's Zoom, which is a great, uh, or some other platform, uh, you have to look at people, you have to hear them. And so I, I think, you know, because people know me and they trust me and because I have a, a feel for this city based on my lifetime of service to it, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not only ready to lead, but you can't lead unless you want to listen. Well, it's interesting. You're uh, you're actually one of the candidates who didn't mention this, and I, I kind of thought that you would be considering your history with it. But, uh, you know, the, the problems with the infrastructures of Cleveland public power and, uh, you know, you mentioned the West Side market. It's lost power twice, I believe, in the past month. 
Um, you know, going into that a little more at the other end, you know, privately owned First Energy has been bribing state lawmakers to undermine CPP. Uh, and, you know, I want to ask you, do you want to use any of those federal dollars for CPP? And what is the best path forward well, to making you know, sure we, that CPP remains let me just solid? Say that, that, you know, I've looked at the CPP uh, budget and, you know, they, uh, again, according to the um, uh, mayor's estimate, there's a um, unencumbered balance starting the year of close to $30 million. What I've said is that I would use it to reduce residential rates 10% to make them uh, at last seriously competitive with uh, First Energy. But, but, but don't we already know that they're cash-strapped? It seems like you know rate cuts like that could put a, a bigger strain on... No, if you, after if you look at the consultant's report, one of the things that the consultant said was that the rates are so high that they're not competitive. So, you know, this isn't a chicken egg scenario. You, you reduce the rates, you make it more competitive, and you invest in a system. The system has a capital program. Uh, can it be enhanced? Yes. Uh, I'm, uh, let me tell you. Let's back up a minute. I put my career on the line to save public power uh, years ago. And, 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 and as a result, um, I, I ended up gaining knowledge, hard-won knowledge, I might add, about how a utility ought to be operated. And so I probably, for better or for worse, know more about utilities, particularly electric utilities, than, uh, than most people. And I've, of course, written a 660-page book that gives testimony to that. Uh, I, I want to see Cleveland Public Power uh, be strengthened. The, you know, certainly the failures at the market reflect some, uh, some, some systemic problems, but they also reflect the fact that the market's mismanaged. So it's like a mashup. Uh, we, we, need to, we need a generator over there while we're trying to solve the bigger problems of the system. I, I, I want to say that um, uh, I, I intend to revisit this Prairie State issue. Uh, you know, I sent over to the editorial board a, a long list of correspondence uh, between myself and the uh, and the federal government uh, and and the city of Cleveland, for that matter. Where back in uh, September of 2012, you know, almost nine years ago. I was asking for a federal investigation of the Prairie State Energy Campus uh, that was partially owned, you know, by various Cleveland uh, um, entities. And I asked the FERC to investigate. Um, and it was just a year ago that the Trump administration at last scuttled an, an SEC investigation of, of various players in this overall thing. Um, let me let me let me interrupt you a second here. Um, look, you're you're absolutely right that 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 utility has been mismanaged for 20 years. The last major investment in infrastructure was under Mike White. The the three members of, of the three council members that are in this mayor's race all have a hand in that because they were all on the body that could have done something each budgeting year to get investment in it. But there hasn't been investment in it. People, and you've heard it as you've campaigned, hate it because the power goes out all the time. There, with no investment, you have a rotting system. 
it's an enterprise fund. So you can't just take from the general fund and start plowing lots of money into it without getting a lot of howling from people at least. So when you say, I want to invest in it, it needs a massive infusion of cash. They've done everything right with the water department and everything wrong with the electric utility. Where do you get that money? And might it be better to not? No, 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 no. Now we, <laughs> the, uh, first of all, Cleveland Public Power has the ability to survive as it is, but it's struggling. As mayor, I'm going to bring it back to life. I will make it more competitive. To the extent that we need investments to do that in, uh, in the um, transmission and distribution system, we'll make those investments. Uh, you know, and, and looking at whatever the bonding capacity is, uh, we'll, we'll make whatever investments are needed. The question is, who has any credibility on this issue? I mean, you just, you just stated, Chris, that you have a few people running in this race who have had an opportunity over the last 20 years, one way or another, to raise this issue and do something about it. Uh, when I was a councilman, I was instrumental in helping to save the system by asking questions that no one else was asking at the time. So I'm not just saying, trust me. Well, in a way, I am saying, trust me, because I, I, I do have credibility on this. But I'm also saying that I'm, I intend to make CPP competitive. Remember, the purpose of CPP, if you go back to, to the state founding immunity light to the days of Tom Johnson, one of the reasons for having a public power system was economic development. And we've lost sight of that. We need to move in to lower the rates. But in order to do that, you have to make sure the system can serve the people that are, are, are out there right now, the 70-some thousand customers. We'll do that. We, we, you know, the outages that have occurred at the West Side Market have uh, some of them, no doubt, have to do with the lack of investment. Some of the other outages that have occurred as of late were weather related. I mean, you know, First Energy has outages all the time, but no one's suggesting they be shut down. So, you know, what, what, what I, what I think, what I think, uh, uh, what I am prepared to do is to. Fully restore Cleveland public power to make it competitive, uh, and to uh, once we drop the residential rates, the next step would be to dro drop the commercial and industrial rates. And as you get more customers to come in, you increase your revenue, okay? And as you increase your revenue, you increase your ability to be able to borrow money to go out and to finance improvements in the system. Now, money's fungible. You know, there are ways that we can move money into the system, but the $511 million, uh, to, uh, to the extent that we might be able to provide assistance to Cleveland Public Power, I'm, I'm willing to do that, but it's not going to be used for that purpose alone by any means. You know, that's an option. And I have to uh, look a little bit more closely at the... Uh, at the rules, I think the city has a lot of flexibility on that. So the spending doesn't have to only go for the general fund, but can go to some of the enterprise funds as well. Okay. We, we need, we got a couple other things we want to get to and we're going to run out of time. So let's go to the next question, Seth. The, uh, the, the city and the County and, uh, the Cleveland Indians released their plan for, uh, upgrades to progressive field that included some, you know, public money, obviously going into the, 
435 million dollars uh you know first energy stadium is also you know about two decades old now which means the browns are going to be right around the corner and you know i want to get your take on you know what you think of the deal and just using public money to uh you know help private sports teams with stadiums in general well you know let's let's face it uh i don't think have you have you seen the lease agreement yet i have not no, there, there aren't a lot of records that are available. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, as, you know, aside from the announcement, which is all very interesting, got to look at the lease agreement to be no, able no, to... We, but, but, but actually, we, we're, we're not asking you about this deal. We're, this is a more general question. It would be unfair to ask you about this deal because there is no deal. There's nothing that, that's thanks on the for, table. Thanks for pointing that out. It's, hmm. it's much more about your philosophy regarding using tax dollars to upgrade sports stadiums. Right, right. Well, let, let's talk about my philosophy with respect to business, because that reflects on that. Um, as as mayor of the city of Cleveland, I'm the, you know, I'm the CEO of a $3 billion uh, business, uh, and I want to run the city as a business. You know, I mentioned earlier, I cut city spending by 18% without reducing services by eliminating waste, fraud, and abuse. But if we're going to have, if, if we're going to be asked to invest in any enterprise, you know, we could include Sherwin-Williams in this, but that kind of, that's kind of already left the, uh, uh, that, that's already a settled matter pretty much. I would, I would ask for a, a proper public-private partnership, which would mean that, these, that the city has an investment stake in the business in which it's investing. Let me give an example. Uh, Sherwin Williams, the city gives 125 million or or more. I I want the city to have uh, a certain amount of shares in Sherwin Williams, so we'll be real partners. Let me let me stop you there. You said that before, and we didn't get to ask the follow up question at the editorial board. But what if Sherwin Williams said? We're not doing that. We'll go to another town. Would you be willing to lose their presence well, if that's, they? That's you know, but that that scenario is one of is is a scenario that could be one that would put the city of Cleveland on a defensive. No, I welcome Sherwin Williams. As a matter of fact, you may or may not know this, but when I heard that Sherwin Williams was thinking about leaving, this is a private citizen, me, Dennis. I called the CEO. And I said, hey, we want you to stay. This is a big part of Cleveland. But what we but what we need to do is to have a mayor who will look at running the city as a business and will negotiate. Now, negotiations involve establishing some equality. The city of Cleveland must certainly always be in a position of co-equality when we're dealing with business. And in doing that, I think we can find ways of helping business. I am I'm 100% for helping businesses stay, for helping our sports teams stay. We're a great city. We want to stay that way. We want to stay a major league city. But we also need to make sure that these kind of partnerships are not one way. So, you know, I have a lot of experience in negotiating. Let me give you an example. Uh, some of you may remember, it might have been 20 years ago, uh, there was this big uh, railroad merger that affected the city of Cleveland. And uh, Norfolk Southern was going to run 48 trains a day through the uh, northern part of the county, including the city of Cleveland, Lakewood, Bay Village, Rocky River. And 
you know, I was told this is the way it's going to be. You can't fight the railroads. There's nothing you can do about it. The uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Snow, who uh, uh, head of uh, Norfolk Southern, later on went to become Secretary of the Treasury, came to Cleveland to meet with me, and just basically was telling me this is the way it is. Well, uh, I said, look, uh, you know, we don't want to stand in the way of the merger, but if if we if we and, and we filed for an intervention status, and I said, you know, if we hold that intervention status, it's going to slow it down. Rather than go through that process, he and he consented to an agreement that resulted in $80 million worth of track improvements that came into our area. Uh, did, they, did they want to be part of that initially? Probably not. But we got the, the city, the state, uh, uh, and the federal government involved, and uh, Norfolk Southern uh, got involved. And as a result, we came up with a deal that brought about uh, the, the um, a successful merger and improvements along the the route in the, in the northern part of our county. So, you know, I'm a negotiator. I, I, you don't, don't go into negotiation and, and throw yourself in the mercy of the other side. You say, let's talk. And so I'm, I'm certainly uh, fully prepared to uh, protect the interests of the people of Cleveland. And I'm mindful that, you know, we, should, we need to establish a relationship. And, and in doing that, I might add, I think the business community would find it refreshing to have someone who would sit down and actually talk business, talk negotiation and come up with a deal because that approach will make it possible for any business to approach City Hall if they are willing to recognize that the public has to have some kind of equities involved uh, in, the, in the final outcome. So Cleveland also has the lowest broadband rate of any big city in Ohio. Uh, it's half of that. It's actually less than half of that of Columbus or Cincinnati. And, you know, we really saw this kind of laid bare during the coronavirus pandemic, especially as it related to, you know, um, online learning with kids. So what will you do as mayor and what should the city do to address the digital deficit that exists in Cleveland? Would you start to beginning that question, Seth, because I, I think, I, I, there was kind of a sound. Yeah, that's there. fine. Uh, so, so Cleveland has the lowest broadband rate of any oh, big broadband. city in Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I'm just kind of wondering what you would do to address this digital deficit. Well, this is one, one area where, you know, and this is something that I'd consider uh, using uh, uh, Cleveland public power to help uh, facilitate broadband. I mean, a, a, any kind of a digital divide is devastating to communities because people you know, it's, it's like you're living in two different centuries. So, you know, I'm, I'm prepared. The, there was a, a, a local group that was recently given a substantial amount of money. I think it was over $10, $10 million to be able to deal with uh, uh, needy communities. We know that those communities exist on the Near East Side in particular. Uh, yeah, you know, broadband, we, we have to, there, there's money out there. We need to bring it in. We need to find out who is going to provide the service, uh, whether it's the city or some nonprofit. And uh, bringing broadband to everyone is something that I'm, you know, I'm certainly 100% um, uh, in favor of. It's a must. Do you have any plans on how that should go forward? Is it Wi-Fi hotspots? You kind of mentioned a no, possible municipally-owned program. You know, no, no, you, you, we, we've got to. We've got to create a cloud that people have access to and they can connect everywhere in the city that there's uh, otherwise uh, this idea of hotspots. I mean, 
you know, what are people going to go search around? Oh, I got a hotspot here. Oh, nope, not. It doesn't make sense. Let's 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 create a situation where we where we're able to connect the whole city, and it's going to and the existing businesses can find some advantages in that. And well, you know, I'm not going to tell you that I've got this figured out 100 percent, but I want to move in the direction of of making broadband service widely available, inexpensive, and uh, and you know, finally settle this question of the digital divide. So there's also been a lot of talk about uh, downtown development during this mayoral race, but you know there are a lot of other neighborhoods that have continued to struggle with attracting businesses and residents for years. So I want to know what you would do as mayor to kind of ensure that there are equitable development opportunities across the entire city. Well, I know the city, and you know downtowns is in, downtowns a neighborhood. We can't we cannot create a dichotomy between downtown and the rest of the community. With our collaborative process that I talked about with respect to the 511 million as a good starting point, we go, we go to uh, the Greater Cleveland Partnership, the, um, uh, uh, the uh, Cleveland Alliance, uh, and, and other groups to have them participate in what's needed for downtown. We want people to come downtown. I don't know if you remember this, but I, I helped save the Cleveland Theater District years ago when council wanted to put a parking lot there, and I stood strong and, and, and resisted. Uh, downtown is, is, is an important part of Cleveland's future, but we're not going to invest in downtown at the expense of the neighborhoods. We have to invest in downtown and the neighborhoods. It's no longer either or. You know, I there was a time years ago when Cleveland was the number three corporate capital, and unfortunately, most of the resources went into downtown. Now we we need to make sure that downtown and is is seen as a neighborhood that it's uh, uh, that we we want to strengthen it. Uh, you know, one of the one of the ideas one of the ideas that I had uh, that would strengthen downtown and the city uh, is you know look at Berkeley Lakefront Airport. And 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 you know and do something and do something there to uh, utilize it so it's uh, more uh, widely available to the public. So you know I uh, again every neighbor you know every neighborhood that needs investment uh, we're going to find ways of investing and to the extent that downtown needs help we're not going to neglect downtown because so that belongs to all Clevelanders. One thing I do want to ask about your campaign is, uh, you know, Tony George has given your campaign a lot of money and his family members have given you a lot of money. And given that, you know, your legacy is, uh, you know, you obviously take a lot of, you know, mind to your fight with Muni Light and Cleveland Public Power and the revelations that Tony George was kind of actively working to undermine Cleveland Public Power. I, I'm curious why you've kind of chosen to ally yourself with him. Well, look, uh, let no one doubt <laughs> my commitment to Cleveland Public Power. I put my career and my life on the line. I don't know what more I could do to prove that. And anyone who knows me knows that, you know, whether my friends contribute to me or not, it doesn't have any bearing whatsoever on my decision-making process. I can truly say 
that, and I have a public record to prove it, that I am unbought and unbossed. Well, but I think the question is more, why do you, why would you ally yourself with someone like that who, you know, in many ways has been kind of working to undermine what is arguably your greatest legacy project? See, that's something that uh, uh, now, you know, once I become mayor, it's a whole new ballgame with respect to uh, cleaning public power and first energy. Uh, you know, they, let's not pretend that in the business community, there's been a unanimity of support for um, uh, clean public power. And let, let's not pretend that in the long history of Muni Light, uh, that there haven't been people who have been adamant about knocking Muni Light out, who took strategies that would... Uh, have defeated Muni Light, who wrote editorials that would have uh, knocked Muni Light out. There's a lot of people out there who tried to hurt public power, uh, including, you know, some of your predecessors at uh, at, at the Plain Dealer. But you know what? I, that's never stopped me from uh, engaging with people because, you know, there's a lot of different views about uh, about public power. But my view comes from Mayor Tom Johnson, who said that. You know, I believe in public ownership of all public service facilities, of, of water systems, of, of parks, of schools, and of electric systems, because if you do not own them, they will in time own you. They'll rule your politics, corrupt your institutions, and finally destroy your liberties. A prescient, a prescient point, given what we've seen over the last 18 months. Uh, we, got, we got one more question Chris, for you. We're going to run thank, out of time. Chris, thank you for saying that, because... That's, the, that's what I did in, in my battle in Cleveland. And my position on public power is, is as strong as ever, notwithstanding uh, any, any uh, friends or contributors I have who may hold a different view. It doesn't matter what they think. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty clear on what I think. Okay. Well, for our last question, we were kind of trying to get into the mind of how each of the candidates kind of views their how they would like to staff the mayor's office. We know the chief of staff is a really important position. We're not necessarily looking for who you want to be your chief of staff or anything like that, but we want to know who in the community or who in the past sort of embodies the qualities that you would like to see in a chief of staff. Well, you know, Seth, you, you can't, um, you can't hand out jobs until you actually win the office. You know, I may, I, you know, I'm not measuring the drapes just yet, even though I know they're. No, right. no, 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 no. But, 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 but I, yeah, yeah, yeah even, even, time. We're not we're not asking you to even, yeah. anything like that. We're basically saying in your past, historical figures, people you've worked with who embodies the qualities that you would seek when and if you start to seek a cabinet. Oh, I, w I would say. Uh, Carl Stokes, Louis Stokes. Uh, people who, who, who had a connected to the heart of of the community really understood the the people in the community. You know, Norm Crumholtz, one of the great planners in in the history of the city of Cleveland. Uh, you know, people of that people of that caliber. I mean, there's a lot of talent out there, but I you have to know some. On page 44 of the mayor's estimate. There's an organizational summary. I looked at how many people are inside the mayor's office. There, 
they're running into each other. They're bumping into each other. I had about six people who ran the mayor's office. I think, think the mayor from all the different payrolls might have over 20, over 30. We, we need to have clear lines of authority. We need to get rid of the super directors. Uh, I've already redone an organizational chart, but you know, as I said, you have to get elected first. I'm not measuring the drapes, but they are 24 feet long, last I checked. <laughs> well, Dennis, thanks hey. for uh, sitting down with us. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, we appreciate you uh, making it available. Uh, this uh, this uh, will be published over the next week. Thank you, Seth. Thank hey, you, Dennis. I, I really appreciate the time, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks to everybody okay. who listens to this Bye podcast. Now.